0: 2 Corinthians chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 5. I don't think there is a chapter 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Last week, uh, we, in looking at Matthew in chapter 9... We came to the conclusion that as Christians, we ought to feast, and we ought to feast regularly, because we have Christ. Not just we have Christ, but we have Him in us. We possess Him, and He possesses us. He abides in us, and we abide in Him. And there is no greater joy, and that is why uh, we can sing such a song uh, and sing with such joy what He has done for us at the cross and what He is doing in us as His brothers and sisters. And on the heels of that reality, I wanted to step out of Matthew for at least a week maybe two because I want to ask you a question I have to ask and that is does Jesus Christ dwell in you? I'm not asking if you're a Christian I'm not asking if you've been baptized I'm asking does the bridegroom of God abide in you? it is a massive question It is the most important question you will ever answer, and I'm convinced that it is the true mark of a Christian. It is the evidence of you as a son or daughter of God, that Christ Jesus himself dwells in you. And we touched on that a bit last week in a quick reference to Romans 8 and we'll go there again in a little bit. But I ask this question because I've came across this passage in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Look at it with me. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Let me pray. Father, we ask this this morning. Show us the true reality of our hearts Show us if Christ be in us, if we are in the faith. Show us our failures, our shortcomings, but remind us of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of His blood shed for the remission of sin, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Humble us, but show us the hope of Jesus. It's for His sake we pray. Amen. I want to emphasize again and again and again that Christianity is about the internal. It is about the work of God within us. It is about a new creation. It is about the person of Jesus, not... Not some historical figure that we cannot imagine or think about. Not a fable or a myth or a fairy tale, but a man. A man who was and is and always will be because he is God. Now I think we as a church, not Ozarks Bible Church, but as a church overall for the last, I don't know how many years, have shied away from the the reality that a Christian is one who is indwelt by Christ that he lives yes at the right hand of the throne of God but he lives also in his people we are the temple of God Paul asked this very simple question but yet so deep and so profound Does Christ dwell in you? Now, he doesn't say it that way. He doesn't ask it that way. But look, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at these this one verse and ask three questions to help us. And then I want to put us to the test to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. And if you're thinking, okay, I am in the faith. Christ is in me. This is not a sermon for me. My suggestion to you is you better pay attention. Three things that we can ask in this passage to help us to understand this test that Paul tells the Corinthians to undertake and ultimately for us to follow along with. The first one, what's the goal of this test? This examination he tells the Corinthians to undertake. He says to them, examine yourselves, test yourselves. To see whether you are in the faith. Now, if we work through Paul's language here, and he says, first, to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith, but we take it a step further and realize that he wants them to say, but hey, Christian, listen, Christ is in you, unless you fail the test, you fall short of the examination. And so what does he want them to see and understand? Is Christ in you? That is what we know Christianity to be. The work of a person in redemption, reconciliation, in a relationship. And here's what I want you to understand, that Christianity and you... In that redemption and that reconciliation and that relationship, it is deeper and farther than anything you've ever understood. It is supernatural, it is divine, it is an act of God. And I want you to also understand that what are the ramifications if Christ be not in you? And I want to do this through a very quick exercise. Just hear this. I'm going to read Romans 5 in the negative. Meaning, I'm going to read it in the sense of what you do not have and your current place if Christ be not in you. All right? Therefore, since Christ is not in you, you are condemned. You have no peace with God, you have no access to Him. There is no rejoicing, because you have no hope in God. And you have no hope in your sufferings. And your sufferings are empty and vain, they produce nothing in you. You do not know the love of God. You do not know His Spirit. You are still weak, verse 6. You are still ungodly. You are so far from righteousness. You do not know the love of God. You are still a condemned sinner. And you are bearing down on the wrath of God. And if Christ be not in you, you are still an enemy of God. That is the negative aspect of Romans 5. To not have Christ is to have that reality. What misery. How miserable and hopeless this life is and would be and eternity would be if Christ be not in you. That is... The goal of this test is to determine if Christ is in you. The second question is, what is the test or how do we examine? Now, the words that Paul uses, test, examine, prove, um, can bring to mind some different uh, analogies. Um, Maybe you're on the playground as a young boy or... Hopefully not an older boy. And you get into it with someone and says, I want you to prove to me what you're made of. I'm going to put you to the test. Or perhaps to examine or to test or to prove is to squeeze something hard. To put much weight and pressure on it to see what comes out of it. Like, a want, like grapes in a wine press. Or that when you turn up the heat when you're cooking to see what remains. To prove what is there. And what is expected to appear when one is proved, tested, examined, pressed down, squeezed, and cooked? What is one expected to see of a Christian? Christ. When we are tested and tried in our sufferings and our trials and persecution, whatever it might be, when we are pressed, what comes out ought to be Jesus himself. How are we tested? Or I should say, by what standard are we to be tested? What is it to show and prove that we have Christ in us? But it it is that which proves true always, the Word of God. The Word of the Lord proves true. It is tested and tried, and therefore we examine ourselves, we test ourselves by the very Word of God, because the Bible is our standard of living the scriptures give to us the rule the scriptures reveal to us the will of god the mind of god our statement of faith says it like this the word is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction it says, the word reveals the principles by which God will judge. And it says, the word of God is the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds and opinions should be tried. You saw the power of the word of God in 2 Kings. Half a, half a century Of evil and wicked living in Judah. The word of God had been forgotten. Had been pushed aside. The dust was on the Bible. In Judah at the time. But what happened? The word of the Lord was found. It came forth. And what did it say? Read this Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like the Great Commission. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. The Word of God, the Scriptures, convey to us a set, a standard of moral behavior our actions, our words, and even our thoughts will be judged and held in standard by the Scriptures, by God's very Word and judgment. But the Scriptures don't just reveal to us how God desires us to live, but it also reveals to us how God divinely, supernaturally operates within us. His work that is being done to you. Think about the words of the new covenant that you find in Jeremiah 31, but also echoed in Hebrews 8. I will put my laws, where? Within them. In their minds. I will write them on their hearts. That is the work of God. Putting His word in us. And this morning I want to take up the Scriptures, the truth of God, the will of God, and to examine ourselves, to test our hearts, to see if we are in the faith, to press down upon us the weight of the Word of God to see if Christ comes out. And perhaps we find in Him, or we find in ourselves, Areas in our lives Where we have kept Christ out I have Seven Tests But we'll do three this morning We'll do three this morning Number one Do you trust in Christ? (laughs) Don't fall asleep Do you trust in Christ? And I don't... The the shallowness of Christianity today has made biblical phrases and words so hollow. And I'm asking you, do you trust in Christ for eternal life? What I did not ask you just now is do you acknowledge a belief that you have to acknowledge so that you can live forever in heaven. That's not what I'm asking you. Because eternal life isn't just living forever in heaven. Eternal life in Christ begins in this life. Eternal life in Christ is living with a knowledge of who God is and who His Son is living day to day, now and in the world to come, with eyes that see Jesus for who He is. A mind for understanding the will of God. That is living eternally. Not just live forever, but live with an eternal mindset. With the affections for God and Christ and His Word. Do you want Jesus to help you with that life now, not just get you to heaven? Do you trust in Him that you might know God, His will, and His commands? To trust in a crucified carpenter, to depend on Him, to believe Him. Matthew, when he was called by Jesus in Matthew 9 trusted Jesus when he said follow me And what was the evidence of that he got up he left all and he followed he trusted Christ for eternal life do you trust in Christ in regards to all aspects of your life your marriage your kids your job Your possessions? Do you trust in Christ and being patient with your husband? Or being loving to your wife? To be having meekness with your neighbor, kindness towards your enemy? Do you trust in Christ and being self sacrifice self sacrificing for those who are around you? The number one evidence that you trust in Christ, and perhaps it's in different areas of your life, but if you truly want to know if you trust in Christ in your life, examine your prayer life. Prayer is the number one evidence of your dependency on Jesus. Prayer tells you whether or not you trust in Christ. Do you pray for your marriage? If not, you do not trust Christ for your marriage. Do you pray about how you raise your kids? Well, if you don't, you do not trust Christ in helping you raise your children. Do you pray to the Lord about financial issues? If not, you don't need Him. How you pray shows how you trust. And if you are not praying, you do trust in yourself. If you lack prayer, you trust in yourself. We must examine our prayer lives. We must examine how we depend upon Christ. If we depend upon Christ, we know that Christ be in us. Consider the Psalms. O Lord, David says, but you, O Lord, answer me when I call. But to you, O Lord, give ear to my word, O Lord. The man after God's own heart knew that his dependency on him came out in his calling upon his Lord. God is like a bottomless well. A bottomless well of life and righteousness and love. And our prayer is the bucket that we let down into that endless, infinite well of life and righteousness and love and we have to ask ourselves is there any drops in our pails do we trust Christ and do we see that in our prayers number two the second test to see if we be in the faith if Christ be in us obedience to God Obedience to God is going to sound a lot like what y'all heard in Sunday school class. Turn with me to Matthew 7. When Christ is in us, we desire to obey God. Matthew 7:21. not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Your profession, as Brother Dan mentioned this morning, your verbal acknowledgement means nothing if you are not doing the will of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Even even their works of righteousness were not in accordance with the will of God. Verse 24, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. See, that's just another way of saying Christ in you. Founded on the rock is another way of saying Christ in you, or you in Him. Now we have to understand, this is not something, obedience to God is not something you work up. You grab on and white knuckle it. You lace up those those boots, or you try to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I think we get that illustration wrong when we think about pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. We usually think about, or at least I do, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and go to work. But it literally means you're on the ground, and you're going to try to... Pull yourself up off the ground by your bootstraps. Lie on the ground and try to pull yourself off the ground by your bootstraps. You're going nowhere. Obedience to God isn't your forceful will of trying to please God by doing all that he commanded. Here is where we have to understand. This is what separates Christianity from all other things from Judaism, from Islam. They are pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Christianity is God coming in us, dwelling in us, giving His Spirit to us that we might do His good pleasure. It is Him giving us a new heart a new mind, new affections, so that by his grace in his indwelling Holy Spirit, we can do what he has called us to do. The Spirit of God is working in you who have Christ in you. And that's where we had Romans 8 last week. I want you to understand that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. And if the Spirit of Christ in you, you have Christ in you. Look at Romans 8. I want to take just a couple more minutes longer than we did last week to look at these few verses. I have to read all eight verses for it to make sense. Romans 8 verse 1. There's so much good news in these eight verses. When it comes to, number one, how God enables us To obey him. I think it was I'll probably butcher this quote. I should have looked it up. Augustine said God give me what it takes to obey you and command whatever is whatever you will. I'm I messed it up. Give me whatever it takes to obey you, and then command to me whatever you will. That's not the way it goes, but that's you get the gist. You get it. And this is what verses 1 through 8 says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, or who has Christ in them. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He's saying you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do what? Walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's the Spirit at work in us. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And I want you to pay real close attention to these next three verses. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God they're pulling and pulling and trying and they want to but if they are in the flesh they cannot please God you must obey God only in the spirit walking in the spirit equals obedience to the law of God I, and it says it backwards in this in verse 7 look at verse 7 for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to, the, to God's law. So, let's think about it backwards then. who is For someone who is walking in the Spirit, are they hostile to God? No. What else? Can they submit to God's law? Indeed they can. You want to know what it is to walk in the Spirit? Honor God and obey Him honor God and obey Him by the power of God you can do that by the indwelling Holy Spirit do you understand God says obey me yes I will come to you and teach you and help you and lead you I will write my laws within your heart and on your mind I will give you my spirit go read Psalm 119 this week Let me give you a couple passages out of it. Here, Don't don't turn there, just listen. But you go and read Psalm 119 for yourself this week. But hear, hear the psalmist in his desire of, to obey God, but yet his understanding of knowing that he needs God to, to get him to that place of obedience. He says, Deal bountiful with your servant that I might live and keep your word. If you want to have eternal life to live, it is impossible apart from obedience. And obedience to God is a sign of Christ in you. Deal bountiful with your servant that I might live and keep your word. He says, open my eyes. Didn't we just sing a song about being blind? Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your creation. No. Out of your law. Life is in obedience to God. He says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. So do you see the The first two evidences of Christ in you are summed up in that hymn, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. You know, that's when we baptize someone, we ask two questions, and those two questions summarize those two realities. Number one, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent by the Father to live a perfect life? And not just die, not just die for sins, but to die for your sins? And to answer in the affirmative is to trust in Christ. The second question is, do you desire to turn from your sins, follow Jesus, to live and obey for the rest of your days all that He has commanded? And to affirm is to say, I repent and I want to obey my God. What's your relationship like with your Bible? What's your relationship like with your sin? Those two things ought to help you understand whether or not you fail this aspect or pass this aspect of the test. Obedience to God. Do you know what to obey? Do you know His commandments? The only way to know how to obey and and what He commands is by reading His Word. If you lost your Bible... How would that affect your week? Would it? Take up the book. Pray for help. Trust Christ. And obey God. Now, you put these together and you do what I just said. You take... The Bible serious. You depend on God seriously in prayer. You trust in Him and obey Him. The third test you will pass. Growth. Growth in holiness. And when I say holiness, this is, is what I mean. To become more like God. To become less like your old self. A rebel opposed to God disobedient to God to grow in holiness is to become less like the world who's living in the passions of the flesh and carrying out the desires of the body to grow in holiness is to become more like Jesus holiness is to be like no one else that's why we call God holy is because no one is like him but yet in This divine, supernatural way, becoming a Christian isn't just getting to heaven, but becoming a Christian is being called by God to become like Him. And not only does He not call us to become like Him, but He enables us and guides us and directs us and makes us more like Him. That's God's command and will and purpose for His people from Israel at Mount Sinai to us today he declared be holy as I am holy do not be conformed to the world but be conformed to God that is great evidence that Christ be in you is that you become more like Christ Ephesians 5 gives the the, the biggest mountain of command there ever was Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God. I want you to hear that. You are commanded to imitate God, Christian. Not act like a Christian. Not play the part. But to imitate God. And for someone who has Christ in them, it is... The burning desire within their bones that they become less like the world and less like their old self and that they are purified, that they're pressed and they're, and the heat is turned up and that all those impurities would be taken out and that they could be more like their Lord. That is God's eternal purpose and plan for all who are in Christ and all who have Christ in them. We all know Romans 8 real well, right? At Romans 8, 28. There's one thing we must understand that I don't think I've driven the point enough. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's such a sweet verse, to know that for those who love God, that everything is working out towards good. But he says, for those who are called according to His purpose. So what is the good and what is the purpose? Well, it's given to us in verse 29 that you're conformed to His Son. Your suffering, your trials, your persecution, your, your struggles are all given to you and directed in order that not that you would be someone who is holier than thou or you've learned all the lessons of life but that through all of that that you, with Christ in you become more like Him. That's God's desire for all who are His. And the examination for this comes out most evident in Hebrews 12 and we spent much time in this when we looked at Hebrews it's very cut and dry it is very clear Hebrews 12:14 Strive for peace with everyone And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I'm going to read that again. Strive for peace with everyone. And for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you feel as if you're failing this test... That you have no idea if you're growing in holiness. That you do not know if you become like Christ. Or maybe you have no desire to be like God. You will not see Him. You will not know Him. Do you desire and strive to put to death your sin? To seek the glory of God to be made more like His Son? Only those who are being made like Jesus will see Jesus. And that's why John writes, Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. If you have hope in Christ, you will seek to be like him. Whoever hopes in him who is pure, purifies himself as he is pure. Now here's the evidence. Here's the reality. We all have fallen short of this. We can all press apart our lives and see that we have failed the test in some aspect. For some of us, it is in its totality. Some of you are sitting here and have not Christ in you. But if the Spirit is pressing against you, you have not passed the test. I also want you to understand that the Spirit says, do not harden your heart. But turn from your sin and follow Christ. Trust in Him. Seek Him. Depend on Him. Pray to Him and cry out for forgiveness. And He will come to you and make home within you. And we can always take heart in knowing that if we confess our sin... If we fail to meet the test, but confess our sin, He's faithful, and He's just to forgive us of all of our sin, and to purify us, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The remaining four of the test is the fruit of the Spirit, love for Christians and others, a biblical positive influence, and an adherence to the teachings of the Scripture as given to us through the apostles. I want to say it again because it is worth mentioning. Examine yourself to see if Christ be in you. Not that you come here or even open your Bible, going through the motions, but that you know Him and He knows you. Because if that is not so, He will say, depart from me. And that is a misery that will last eternity. But Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. So turn to Christ. Live for Christ. Follow Christ. Trust in Christ. Let's pray. Father, it is our Hope that your word will prove true, and it is our confidence that it will. For your word is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword, and Father, it pierces between spirit and soul, between bone and marrow, and none of us can escape it, none of us can hide from it. And we're counting on that this morning. Lord, not that we uh, hear this Word and say, well, I'm downcast and therefore I, I cannot have joy or hope, but that we're reminded that as Your Word is living and active and sharper, that it puts to death sin within us, that it crucifies our old man. And that is our plea to You, That we would leave today, walking in a newness of life, seeking to conformity of Your Son. That we will not fail the test that Christ be in us. Humble our hearts, but fill us with joy. God, knowing that You are working supernaturally, divinely within us to bring out Your will and good pleasure in sinners like ourselves. Let us stand in Christ as He dwells in us. Father, show us how to stand firmer on Him, to trust in Him greater, to desire obedience as He was obedient in this life, in His life. And let that fill us with peace and joy as we live all of our days in Christ alone. In His name we pray. Amen.